Well, then join me as we go into the Lord's uh, word, the word that he gave us for the scripture reading this morning. And the scripture is from the book of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. It's Mark 16, 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought, brought, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The word of God. God. Well, I very cleverly timed that we're ending the book of Mark after nine months of studying one book of the Bible. We're actually ending this morning, surprise, with the resurrection. As we begin this, I was mindful of the first time I ever forwarded an email in this new thing called the Internet about 10 or 15 years ago when I read a news story or read something that was, oh, this is so interesting. This is so amazing. All my friends need to know this. And so, of course, I forwarded it to the, at that point, the 30 or 40 people that I had in my list, only to have somebody come back and say, oh, do you know that's actually not true? Right? How many of you, has that happened to you? Right? The more, the, the shame that begins. And you think you're going to grow in this and you think you're going to get a little better at it. And then somewhere a year or two later, you think, oh, well, this, everybody's got to know this one. And they say, oh, I'm sorry, that one's not true either. And then you learn about the websites that they, you know, scope out. You thought growing up, I thought I could trust the evening news or the, the print journals. And then you learn, no, they, they sometimes make up things too. You know, we have, it's now called fake news. It's got its own name. It's just sort of the hoax. When I was growing up, we called it lies, right? But now we have names of things and you forward these things on. And then at some point you just get skeptical that anything's true, right? And someone emails you and says, you know, uh, the sun rose this morning. Oh, I got to check out that website to see if the sun actually rose this morning. Right. And it, there's a sense in which we grow skeptical because we've been lied to. And, and this morning, there are many who look at this story and say, you know what, guys, Sorry, but let me just send you a notice. This is just another hoax. This is the early church just trying to, you know, kind of keep power. So they kept this myth alive. And okay, so let's let's wait just a second, because this is either the biggest hoax or it's the biggest piece of news that all of us have to face this morning. So 
let me just suggest to you that there's a couple things you can do when you are confronted with fake news, lies, whatever, to sort of mitigate the possibility that there's, uh, you're going to pass this along. The first is you do your own research rather than just taking someone else's word for it, even someone you believe is credible. You actually make the phone calls. I remember reading a story back when I was a youth pastor about 20 years ago, and it was just this, it seemed miraculous, a coincidence that happened to someone, and I read about it and on some website somewhere. And so I said, well, I, I just I can't be fooled again. And so I actually went through, back before they had whitepages.com, I traced the guy down that I didn't know and kept calling till I actually found his name and him. And I said, okay, this is going to be really weird, but I'm going to preach this story, and it's purported that it's you, and it's really amazing. Can you tell me that this actually happened? And this guy's like, yeah, let me go through with you what happened. And, you know, I didn't know for absolutely sure, because he could have been just like, I lied again to this guy. But I was a lot more confident because I'd done some research on it, and I'd actually talked to somebody who seemed normal and credible on the other end of the line. I can also tell you there's another way that you can figure it out. About 10 years ago, I was uh, listening to a conversation in front of me somewhere in Haymarket or Gainesville, and someone turned and said, hey, did you hear that an SUV ran through the Panera in Gainesville and actually ended up in the center of that store? The other lady goes, oh, come on. Who could be that careless to run up, you know, a big car into a restaurant? And I tapped the person on the back of the shoulder, and I said, um, I can tell you that's true. And she said, How? And I said, because I was in the store when it happened. And this is a true story. I used to work at Panera there in Gainesville all the time. And about 10 years ago, someone ran an SUV right through the store. And I had glass all over me and helped people as they were coming, the rescue squad. And I have a picture of it. And, you know, you may or may not be, be aware of that or remember it. And I can share it with you. It's a very dramatic story, but I won't. <laughs> what I can tell you is I'm absolutely convinced that that happened without a shadow of a doubt. <laughs> Do you believe the resurrection happened because you've heard someone else talk about it or because you've experienced it? I can tell you the truth that in my life, I'm more convinced now than ever before that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, not because I read it in the Bible, though that's where I learned the story, but it's because it's transformed my life that the fact that a dead man came back to life has so empowered and changed me, and it can change you if you believe and trust in the one who was dead and is alive, and this is Easter. And it's no longer fake news, and to me it's not a hoax because I've experienced it. Now, today there are people who will say and look at that in the rearview mirror and they'll go back several thousand years and they'll say, well, you know, as we learn more, dead people just don't come back to life, do they? And I admit it's not a daily occurrence. And people say, well, as we get more facts and as we understand things more, we, we don't need faith as much because, you know, facts and as we figure out scientifically what happens, it removes the need for faith. But you see, the opposite of Faith isn't more facts or even doubt. Faith is the assurance of what we can't see because there's so many things we can't know 
in the way a, a scientific laboratory will prove it. But faith is the opportunity to be assured of that which you cannot see because you experience it in your life. Some look at the people that were writing the Bible, people who came upon the tomb, these three women that Mark describes that came upon the tomb, and they say, well, you know, people back then, they were sort of superstitious. They didn't know the things that we know. They just weren't as sophisticated. And, you know, in some ways, there was some superstition. I grant you, in, in thousands of years ago, people believed there was causation about things that we know now is caused by things that they didn't, weren't aware of. I understand that. Can I tell you, death isn't one of them. The Greeks did not believe in a resurrection. They did not want a resurrection because in Platonic philosophy, the body itself housed that which was bad. The spirit housed that which was good. They weren't looking for a resurrection. Non-Jews weren't. And for Jews, the only resurrection that some believed in was that all people who were faithful would rise at the end of all things. Nobody believed in an individual resurrection of a human being. That was not part of what Jews individually believe. This is why, although Jesus told these followers again and again and again, I'm going to rise from the dead, they were still coming to embalm the body with the spices the morning we read about here. Everybody's shocked, even though they'd been told. Why? Because it wasn't part of what they would have seen as possible. They were as skeptical as you are and I was about the possibility of something happening. Dead people coming back to life is something that was as impossible for them as it seems to us. So let me ask you this. What would it take to convince you, if you're not convinced, what would it take? I want you to really think about the answer. What would it take to convince you it were true if you're not? And let me suggest to you that whatever it would take that is what these skeptical people, the proof that they had that convinced them to risk their lives, many died for this, they were convinced. If you've got your Bible, I want you to open, because I do want to look at a few things in Mark 16. Finally, I want to suggest before we look at the Scripture itself, this third part of we've got this idea of the untrustworthiness perhaps of Scripture, and some would say that the Bible is propaganda. Can I say that having in that day and age three women being the people who would be your eyewitnesses was not the way you would write it? At that time... It was a very patriarchal society. Women's testimonies weren't even received in court as true. And so for Bible writers, if they were making this up to put three women as the ones who were going to be the, at least in Mark, that's claimed the only three that saw it. We don't have in this section of Mark the, uh, what the other Gospels tell us. That wasn't very smart. If you were going to make this stuff up, you wouldn't have your position affirmed by people who would think the witnesses weren't even credible. For those here who you think to yourself, well, I, I like certain parts of Christianity. I like the, the morality it teaches. I like to love your neighbor as yourself, but I just can't get down with the whole 
Jesus was dead and is alive and divine and all that. Let me just say, don't gut the faith by recreating a gospel that isn't there. The Bible leaves no leeway to remove this event. It is the cornerstone. Paul said it like this. If, uh, 1 Corinthians, I think it's fifteen fourteen. If Jesus Christ was not bodily raised from the dead, my preaching and my faith is useless. He didn't leave any room that this event is somehow negotiable. In Mark 16, we have these first eight verses that describe what happens. And I want to point out four things to you. These I've already pointed out that it's three women, Mary Magdalene, another Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought these spices to embalm and anoint the body. And they go to the tomb early, and they're wondering who's going to roll the stone away because it was too large for them to move, and they found that the stone had been rolled back already. It was very large. So they entered the tomb, and they saw a young man, some sort of heavenly being, an angel perhaps. They see him sitting on the right side as they go in. He's in a white robe, and they were alarmed. Listen to what this message is this morning, and let's try to glean some things for ourselves from this message. This young man, this heavenly being, says to them, don't be alarmed or afraid. You see Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. Probably just a stone bench that's now empty. Go and tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. First thing, as so many times in scriptures, the first thing that God or an angelic being says to people is don't be afraid. Now, maybe just seeing an angel would make you afraid. I probably would. It probably would freak me out too. But beyond that, I don't think he's talking about phobias or, or things like that, but the opposite of faith, I said before, it's not doubt, it's fear. Because faith is this idea that we can risk believing in that which we don't see. And I want to suggest to you that what locks people up in so many ways from living the life God intended is, is that we're afraid. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of the risks that we might take and it wouldn't work out. We're afraid because of past hurts or pain or we're afraid of loss. We're afraid of so many things. And the Bible constantly says, don't be afraid. Do not fear. Take the risk. My wife and my family and I, I'm about to start after today. I'll be doing it on sabbatical for 10 weeks. And, you know, you may think, oh, a 10 weeks sabbatical, that'd be the coolest thing ever. Can you... I just want to confess to you, there's some fear in me. And I was really trying to ask the Lord, why are you afraid to step away for 10 weeks? And ultimately, this isn't going to come as a surprise to the leadership here, and anybody that knows me, is that I like to be in control. <laughs> I like to know what's going on with everybody all the time. I mean, I love people here. I love our body. I love that aspect of knowing what's going on. But I like to have my fingers in every piece of the pie. And I imagine you might as well. And whether it's, you may not get a 10-week sabbatical, and I feel sorry for you. <laughs> but 
For you to take your hands off the steering wheel of your own life is scary, and I get it. For me to take it off for 10 weeks. Brian, I love you wherever you are. I trust you. Elders, we have wonderful elders. We have wonderful leaders at every level, and I do trust them, and I don't, because I trust me in some ways more than I trust God, and this is the fear that prevents us. Just like the angel says, don't be afraid. I want to tell you, don't be afraid. You may be entering seasons of your life that you've never done before. You may be getting older. You may be adding a child to your mix. You may see a relational change coming that you didn't want. You may see health issues in your life that you didn't want. You don't know what's going to happen. And there's a temptation, and I get it, to say, I'm afraid because I'm out of control. And here's the word of the Lord, don't be afraid. Because when you turn it over to the one who has control and proved that he can be in control because he rose from the dead, it makes a difference. The second thing he says is this. Don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. You're seeking Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. They were looking for Jesus. Was Jesus there? No. Now they didn't know. It's forgivable that they were looking for him there. But can I just tell you, I think we, I, often look for Jesus where he isn't. Now maybe you're dad, my dad's here this morning, and he used to say this to me, and I've passed it along like many things. I'm sure my children are thrilled, but we say in our house, and maybe you heard it in your house, when we've lost something, I lose my keys and stuff all the time, and we look for them, we say this. I said, I've looked everywhere they could be. So what does your dad say? What do I say to my kids? Well, if you've looked everywhere they could be, look where they couldn't be, right? Because they got to be somewhere, I'm going to tell you this, we often look for God all the places we think he should be and could be. And when I mean God, I mean that ultimate meaning in life, that reason for living, that satisfaction. And we look around and some of us have achieved power and status and wealth and things. And we thought, well, this is it. This is what the world says. Or you get what you think you want and you look and he's not there. Because ultimately what gives purpose and meaning is knowing why you're alive. And we don't want to look for Jesus where he isn't. And he isn't in the tomb anymore because he's not a dead God. He's an alive God. And interestingly enough, he says, I'm not even in Jerusalem. Wouldn't it make more sense to be in Jerusalem? That's the seat of power. That's where you could affect change. If you wanted to make a revolution to have people rise up and overthrow Rome, wouldn't it be cool to have a risen Savior right in Jerusalem having meetings with the leadership of the zealots and let's get this thing done, guys? But that's not where he is. He's in Galilee. Galilee was considered a backwater. It's up north. It's where fruitful ministry happened, but he didn't say Follow me right into the center of Jerusalem, which, by the way, is right there. You didn't have to travel very far because the tomb itself is in the Jerusalem area, not in Galilee. That's, for them, day's journey up north. Third thing that the angel says, don't fear. You're looking for Jesus in place where he isn't. He says, now go to these women. He says, go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you. So very simply, the note is this, boldly tell, in this case, those who are following him, but we have the privilege to tell people that there's a living God because once your life is changed by that, 
It's the most important news. And you have the privilege to declare it and to say it with boldness, with confidence. Because it, the gospel continues to change lives. And he says to go not to Jerusalem, but to Galilee. This last part of verse 7. He's going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. That word to verb to go before, proago, is a very particular verb. It doesn't just mean he's changed locations. It means he's leading you. And it, that word is used extra biblically in the sense of an army being led when you're being led out by someone. Jesus is leading them on. And he's leading them to a place that they don't know. They know the physical locale of Galilee, but I can tell you they didn't know what was going to happen to their lives after the risen Christ called them out to a different place. And for many of you, you don't know exactly what the future holds, and you don't know. I'm not talking about necessarily your your job or your years. You don't know when an SUV runs through your restaurant or you don't know when you get information or a change in life that you're, you didn't ask for. But here's the word of the Lord. He's going before you even to Galilee. He's not only not leaving you, He's leading you on. And He says, once you get there, you'll see Him. And in fact, they did. We have recorded events that they saw Jesus. In Acts 1-4, it says, By many convincing proofs, Jesus revealed and showed Himself alive to His disciples. Up to 500 people see Him. That The proofs go on of Jesus living, but it took people willing to change locations in order to find and to live and to walk with Him. For those who would follow and trust in Christ, you can know Him and you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt whether He's alive or not. And I invite you this morning to put your trust in Christ. It's as easy as just confessing with Him that you need Him, that you need salvation. He came earlier in the Gospel of Mark, it said, for those who know they're sick. He didn't come for people who are well. And for people who are doing fine without Him, then that's, that's okay. But Jesus isn't an addition to your life. He's a change of life. He's came not to just make sick people well, but to make dead people alive. So this morning, as we, as we close, we're just going to spend a, a minute or two. I'm going to give you a chance to reflect. If this is something new to you, strange to you, these ideas, I would invite you to research them for yourself. If this is something where you sense I need something in my life, then I would just invite you, even if you say, well, I, th- I think I'm a Christian, I, I don't even know. But you know that the fear and the agony that you live with, you know you need real power. People often fool themselves in thinking, well, I've, I've, I think I've looked for God in the right places. I've gone to church or I've, I've done good works or I've given money or whatever. I think that's where I find God. And that to me is like you plug 
the vacuum cleaner into the wall, but there's no power in the socket, and you push the vacuum around, you think, well, I think I'm, I mean, I plugged it in, and the, the, the machine's turned on, and there seems to be dirt on the, on the carpet, but, you know, it should be working, so I guess it's working, but you know it's not working. And for some, maybe that's your faith. It's, it's really not where you think it should be, but it's not. I can tell you when the power's on, just stick a fork in it and you'll know. <laughs> okay? If you don't know if there's a God because you've never touched power that changes lives, let me just tell you that the elected juice isn't on. Okay? Come talk to one of the leaders as... as the end of the service in a minute, some of the leaders and, and, and others are going to come and pray for our families. We begin our sabbatical. You'll be able to identify those leaders. Talk to one of us if, if you want a change in your life because you need Jesus. All I can tell you is that my life, I was dead and now I'm alive because he lives. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, every Easter in one sense brings the same message because we really only have one song to sing. And that's that Jesus Christ was a human, was God, died for our sins, rose again, ascended to heaven, and now lives for us. Lord, that's the song that changes our lives. Teach us, Lord God, to sing the song, to tell the song, to follow you in reality. In a world full of falsehood and people spreading hoaxes for their own reasons, Lord, I thank you that you told the truth. Lord, it's we who find it hard to believe, Lord, but you actually were there and did it on our behalf. And so, Lord, we worship you and we thank you. And I pray, Lord, for those for whom this is understandably hard to believe, but I ask you to allow them to make a leap of faith so that you in that faith arena can prove yourself to be true. I'd like to give a minute of silence for you to just talk to the Lord. And he knows what's in your heart, so hold nothing back.
Lord, we give you this, everything we are as a church, Lord, and, and one little piece of the church of Jesus across the world, we offer ourselves to you. Lord, for those of us who have trusted in you, we just want to say thank you for being obedient to the point of death. Thank you, God the Father, for raising your son from the dead. Lord, for all the things we don't know, Lord, there's one thing we do know, that out of love, you made yourself available for us, and so we are forever in your debt. Amen. Would you stand with me as we finish our service and celebrate? And then at the end of that, I'm going to ask you to sit back down for just a minute.